A little girl went up to her father one time who was a preacher, and she said, Daddy, I've noticed as I've been growing up and watching you preach that every time when you get up in the pulpit to preach, that you will drop your head for a few minutes and close your eyes. And it's just almost like uh, you, you just are hesitating before you start to preach. And I've always wondered, Daddy, what are you doing? Why are you dropping your head and closing your eyes right before you start preaching when you get in the pulpit? Well, he said, sweetie, what's going on there is right before I start preaching, I'm saying a little prayer to God. I'm asking God, if he will, to help me to preach a good sermon. And the little girl looked at him and said, well, why doesn't he help you? (laughs) This morning, we're going to be talking about prayer. I think most of you who have access to email realize that uh, this past Friday, uh, we started a 40-day period of prayer that we want the congregation to be involved in. Uh, We think, as we know, that as people pray together, there's a whole lot more power in that prayer. But also there's the idea behind it that if we get in the habit of every single day, at the beginning of the day, sometime during the morning, praying to God, both as individuals and as a congregation, that God can do great and wonderful things for us. It's always amazing to me that we don't appreciate the fact that God has given us perhaps one of the greatest gifts He could possibly give mankind in that He gave us the gift of prayer. Think about that for a moment. Imagine the very idea, and we'll talk more about this in our lesson, but the very idea that we can go to the most powerful being in the universe. We can go to Almighty God. We can go to the one who is absolutely holy. And we as mortal men, we as men and women who have problems in our lives, we can go before that throne of grace and let him know our deepest wishes, our wants, our struggles, and our Father in heaven listens to us. Folks, that's amazing. What a wonderful, wonderful gift God has given us. We can at any time of day, in any place, go to our Father in heaven and talk to Him. That's just almost mind-staggering. But also I want us to think about this morning the fact that when God has given us the gift of prayer, He has also given us a very powerful tool. All throughout the Bible, Jesus tells us in the Gospels and also the Apostles echoing what he taught, that prayer is something that is so powerful that if it's backed by faith, it is amazing what prayer can do. But what's odd is in spite of Christians having this very powerful tool, very seldom do Christians make use of this tool. It's very underutilized. Christians really don't spend enough time in prayer, even though it's one of the greatest gifts God has given us, and even though it's one of the best tools God has ever given us. Prayer is certainly our power, but we have to use that power. Now this morning there's a variety of different ways we could teach about this particular idea, about prayer needing to be a priority in our life, and how that prayer needs to be our power. 
And I appreciate the class that Glenn had this morning on uh, Luke chapter 18, talking about how men ought to pray and faint not, how they ought to always pray and faint not, and he, uh, Jesus illustrates that with a parable. And I also appreciate the fact that Grady read that passage for us, and if you didn't pick up on what he was alluding to, I had in the newsletter two different places uh, where I inadvertently off the top of my head put down 2 Thessalonians instead of 1 Thessalonians, and now I'm trying to think if I sent out the email if I did that, that way too. But the passage is a passage I didn't have to look up because it's a passage that is so easy to remember, I thought, and a passage that is so powerful because of its brevity. The Apostle Paul says to pray without ceasing. So we have passages like that in the Bible, the parables and pointed passages like that. But today to help us to understand the fact that prayer is our power, I want us to look at two passages, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament, and how they bring out some very powerful points that prayer is our power, power, and how those passages, though, when you first look at them, you probably didn't even realize that that's what that was about. We're going to go to the Old Testament first, like I said, and we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 27 through 61. Now, don't panic. We're not going to read all of those verses. I'm just going to pull some verses out of there. But I do want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to this particular passage because of what's happening here, and I want you to get the full flavor of what's happening here and see what points are brought out. To set the stage for this particular chapter, 1 Kings chapter 8 deals with the dedication of the temple. This is King Solomon He had finally got to build the temple that his father wanted to build for God. This was to be a permanent dwelling place for God. Solomon's temple was finished, and this is the big ceremony, the big service they had as far as dedicating the temple. As far as records go, this is the greatest ceremony in Mosaic history. You have the opportunity sometime, begin in chapter 8 at verse 1 and read the entire chapter so you can get how this was such a huge celebration. Think about why it was a celebration. For years and years, centuries after centuries, God was a place that people worshipped in a tent, a movable tent. When I was growing up, there were people who still had tent meetings where a preacher would travel from town to town and he'd set up and he would meet in a tent. But it's nice to have a building to meet in. It's nice to have a permanent structure. It's nice to have a place where you can point and say that's where God's people worship. But imagine what it was like with the Jewish people to say, this is the place where God dwells. We finally have a permanent home for Him. And imagine what a celebration that was. Now, before we get too far away from talking about God's temple and the celebration that's taking place here in 1 Kings chapter 8, let me remind you, as we live now in the New Testament, that the temple of God is us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16 reminds us, Know ye not that you are the temple of God? So I want to make sure you have that in the back of your minds as we look at these two passages today. We're going to be talking about Solomon's temple in this chapter. In the next section we look at, we're going to be looking at the temple that Herod built. But keep in mind, in the Old Testament, God dwelled in a physical place. 
Today, God dwells in a spiritual place, and that is in our hearts. We are the temple of God. So keep that in mind as we start looking at these different things. But beginning at verse 12, you have the uh, King Solomon uh, delivering a speech about this particular temple. But it's in verse 22 where I want us to begin, where he begins to make a prayer. He starts praying a beautiful prayer here at the dedication of this temple. In fact, verse 22 says, And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands toward heaven. So what you have beginning now in verse 22 and going down through basically the end of the chapter is a long and beautiful prayer that Solomon prayed at the dedication of the temple. Now, like I said, we're not going to read all these verses, but there's two sections I want us to dwell on this morning. The very first section is in verses 27 through 30. So look at those and listen very closely to what Solomon says in this prayer. He says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have builded... Yet, thou, yet have thou respect unto the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and to listen to the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee today, that thine eyes may be opened toward, toward this house night and day, even toward the place of which thou hast said, My name shall be there, that thou mayest hearken unto the prayer which thy servant shall make toward this place." And hearken thou to the supplication of thy servant and of thy people Israel when they shall pray toward this place and hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place and when thou hearest, forgive. Now just reading over that one time, we may miss some of the amazing things that Solomon is saying here. Notice his very first question he asked in verse 27 in this prayer. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? He's asking a question in astonishment. He's asking a question in amazement. God, how in the world is this possible? God, how in the world can someone as powerful and as mighty, someone who is a part of the heaven of heavens, How in the world can you dwell on a place here on this earth? Now, he was talking specifically about the temple. We understand of the structure of the temple. It had the holy place and then it had the holy of holies, where was the ark of the covenant and the mercy seat of God. And that's where God dwelled here on this earth as far as the temple of God and the Jewish people were concerned. And that just amazed Solomon. How can something like God have anything that has any part or anything to do with mankind and actually dwell here on this earth. And here's the amazing thing we need to think about. How in the world, when we know who we are and we know who God is, how in the world does he allow himself to dwell within us and allow us to be his temple, his dwelling place? It amazed Solomon. He says, how is this possible? And it should amaze us. How is this possible? But yet at the same time, and this is the point of his prayer, 
we should thank God every single day that we have this closeness with Him. Because that brings up the next part of what Solomon wants us to think about. He says, after saying that, after saying how that the heaven and the heavens of earth cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have built. But then in verse 28, he says, yet. Even as amazing as this is, and how is this even possible? He says, yet. Yet you have respect unto the prayer of your servant and his supplication. O lo, my God, you hearken unto the cry and to prayer which this servant prayeth before thee. Verse 29, he talks about thine eyes being made open. In other words, he's making the point that from this dwelling place on earth to his dwelling place in heaven, God hears our prayers. He says, you have respect to them, you hearken unto them, your eyes are open to our prayers. So get the full impact of what Solomon is saying here. He is saying that God is here on earth, he's dwelling among us, he dwells in us now because we are the temple of God. It's not a physical structure anymore. But because of God dwelling with us and because of His closeness, He's able to pay respect to our prayers. He's able to hearken to our prayers. His eyes are open to our prayers. In other words, God hears our prayers. But now... Look at verse, beginning at verse 37 and going down to verse 40. If there be in the land famine, if there be pestilence, blasting, mildew, locusts, or if there be caterpillar, if there be enemy besiege them in the land of their cities, whatsoever plague, whatsoever sickness there be, what prayer and supplication soever be made by any man or by all that thy people Israel, which shall know every man the plague of his own heart and spread forth his hands toward this house, then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place and forgive and do and give to every man according to his ways, whose heart thou knowest. For thou, even thou only, knowest the hearts of all the children of men, that they may fear thee all the days they live in the land which thou gavest unto our fathers. Now once again, notice what he's saying here. In verse 37, he paints a picture. And he's trying with his repetition of all these things in the world that could possibly go wrong, he's painting a picture of all these things that could possibly go wrong in the world. He's wanting us to think about how that there is bad things in this world and how that men need God and how men need to be rescued from God and how dependent man is upon God. But then after painting this picture, in verse 38, he illustrates the power. What prayer and supplication, notice what it says, soever be made by any man. Think about that for a moment. Solomon is standing before the temple of God and he acknowledges the fact that we need God's help. We need God's deliverance. We have to depend upon God 
But then he tells us what our power is when it comes to depending on God. What prayer and supplication soever be made by any man or by all the people of Israel, which shall know every man the plague of his own heart, and spread forth his hands, then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place. So he paints a a picture, and then he tells us his power, but then he tells us what the priority is in the next verse, in verse 39. When he says, then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place and forgive and do and give every man according to his ways. He's telling us that if for no other reason we should believe in the power of prayer because in the power of prayer there is the power to forgive. Man's greatest need, and that's illustrated here in the rest of these verses, man's greatest need is to be in a right relationship with God. And Solomon is telling us the power of prayer. Yes, there's pestilence in this world, there's famine in the world, there's enemies in the world, but your greatest enemy is your own self, and you need to go to God for anything else. As the text says, Then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and forgive but he also goes on and talks about how we want God to do for us and we want God to give to us every man according to his ways. Now you take everything that we've looked at in this passage and we discover something very important I want you to think about. And that is that God is near us, God dwells in us, and since he is so close and so very near to us, he indeed hears our prayers And prayer is a very powerful thing. The text says, any man, and that would be those who are God's people who are made right in His sight. That's the point of the rest of the verse. But if any man in faith goes to God, then that prayer is very powerful. Because God dwells among us, we are His temple. But now let's move into the New Testament. And look at a passage over in Matthew chapter 21. Just two verses, verses 12 and 13, scene that perhaps most of you are familiar with, other gospels bring this out in more detail, but I was looking for a concise passage, but after Jesus made his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem, the very first place he goes is the temple. And look at the text, and I want you to notice what happens And Jesus goes into this temple. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, what in the world is going on here? Why did Jesus decide, um, when he gets into the city of Jerusalem, all these people are praising him and calling him, saying Hosanna, and saying he is the Lord and King of kings. He goes straight to the temple, and he causes a ruckus. He starts throwing things around. He starts turning over tables. Why would he do such a thing? Well, if you understand the background and what Jesus saw when he came into this temple, you would appreciate the fact why he thought that he needed to turn this place upside down. 
When he went into the outer court of the temple in Jesus' day, there were a group of priests who stood there as you came in who would inspect your sacrifice. Now keep in mind that the Old Testament worship coming to the temple always involved sacrifice. If you were going to come to the temple and you were going to, to, to worship God, you had to bring some type of sacrifice. And the Mosaic law said that this had to be the very best. There could be no imperfections. And so there were some monitors, if you will, some priests who would stop people at the outer court there and they would look at their sacrifice and they would decide whether or not it was acceptable to give to God. And you know, something funny was going on. But it seemed like every single animal somebody bought, they would say, nah, I'm sorry. Uh, He's got a little mark here. His eye looks a little strange. That ear's a little bit longer than the other ones. That's not a worthy sacrifice. And the people would drop their heads and the priest would say, but don't you fear. We got you covered. You just go right over here and see Joe's used animals over here and he'll give you a good deal. Well, what would happen when he got over here to talk to the animal dealer over here? He would charge him an exorbitant price to trade in his animal for an approved animal, animals that had already been improved by, approved by the priest. They were gouging these people who were coming into the temple. The priests were guilty of getting kickbacks from these animal dealers whom someone brought an animal in. Oh, it would never meet the criteria. You need to go see him. But another thing that was going in as they moved in, there were people, as they were commanded in the Old Testament, and we are commanded today, they were to give of their means. There was money that was to be given. We call it a tithe uh, in the Old Testament. But you see, Roman money was unclean. We can't give Roman money to the Lord. And so it needed to be exchanged for Hebrew money. Only Hebrew money could be used in the temple as far as the giving to God there in the temple proper. So if you had Roman money, what's the man supposed to do? He's supposed to go see the temple money changers. And once again, the exchange rate for what a dollar Roman bill might cost was far higher than it would be if you got, or vice versa. Roman uh, money was nowhere compared to what the cost of the Hebrew money is. And just to make it simple, if you wanted one dollar in Hebrew, you had to pay three dollars in Roman money. And once again, the exchange rate wasn't that. It was people that they allowed in to take advantage of people so the priests could get a cutback. And so Jesus comes in here and he sees these people taking advantage of these worshipers. And we see that the emphasis is on so many other things than what they're there for. They had turned it into a den of thieves, but Jesus says, Your focus is all wrong, your priority is all wrong. As the text says, my house shall be called the house of prayer. In other words, Jesus is saying that you need to return back to the focus for which this house was built. Folks, he's saying something very powerful to us today. He may be telling us that we need to turn some tables over in our lives. We maybe need to kick some things out of our lives. In other words, since our bodies are the temple of God, Jesus is telling us we may need to refocus, we may need to reprioritize, we may need to turn some tables over in our life and make prayer the number one focus in our lives. 
In fact, what I'm trying to tell us this morning is God wants us to make prayer a priority in our lives and in our church. Now, this morning, you may think of yourself as a pretty good Christian. You may think, well, you know, I do a good job of being here when the doors are open. I study my Bible pretty regularly. I give of my means. I'm living a pretty good life. But what Jesus is telling us and what Solomon wanted us to appreciate is that if prayer is not a priority in your life, then you're missing out in one of the most powerful tools God has ever given you. It's like, say there was the most expensive, most wonderful automobile that the world has ever seen. And this automobile had everything. It had steel rims. It had uh, the most powerful engine. It had tinted glass. It had all the right electronics. It had all the horsepower it could possibly master. It's the best looking, most powerful vehicle on the face of the earth. But it doesn't have any gas in it. And if it don't have any gas in it, it's something pretty to look at, but it's useless. Sometimes we're the same way. We may have all the advantages of being a Christian. God has saved us from our sins. His Son died for us. We may have the best life possible. We may have a wonderful relationship with God. But if prayer is not a priority in our lives, it's like we're out of gas. Like gas is a power to a car, so prayer is a power to our lives. We need to make it a priority in our lives. Think about this for a few moments. Think about how powerful prayer is. Prayer connects us to God. Prayer brings purpose to your life. Prayer opens your eyes and your heart to the hearts of the world around you. Prayer lets you tell God how much you love Him and lets God tell you how much He loves you. Prayer helps you to reach out to a lost and dying world. Prayer gives you a certain hope for your future. Prayer also holds marriages together. Prayer offers protection for our lives and for our loved ones. Prayer pushes forward the purpose of God in our community. Prayer gives us the victory in the supernatural before the battle even happens in the natural. Prayer prepares us for what may come in the future. Prayer builds you up, it strengthens and encourages you. Prayer always adds to your life and it never takes anything away. Prayer is the most powerful force on the earth and it is your power. Folks, I just touched the hem of the garment of all the different things that prayer will do for you. But prayer doesn't do us a bit of good if we don't use it if we don't make it a priority in our lives. As we extend the invitation this morning, I'm asking you as an individual and also as a congregation to reconnect with God. I'm inviting you this morning to pour out your hearts to God on a daily basis. I'm inviting you to tell God on a daily basis how much you love Him and acknowledge the fact that He loves you. I want you to understand and appreciate the fact that prayer is our power in this new year and we need to make it a priority in our lives.
This morning in our Bible class, Lynn made mention of uh, James chapter 5 and verse 16, where James reminds us that uh, the effectual righteous prayer availeth much. The, prayer of a, the effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And that's true, that if we will pray to God as righteous people, then it's going to accomplish a great thing. But sometimes when we think about a righteous man, we think of somebody who is a super-duper Christian, someone who is above head and shoulders of the rest of the Christian world. But that's not what the passage is talking about, and that's not what righteousness is. A righteous man is just someone who has been made right with God. And so that brings us to the final part of our invitation this morning. If prayer is truly going to be a priority in your life, and prayer is truly going to be powerful in your life, then you need to be in a right relationship with God. You want to be a righteous person or made right with God. And so that means if you're here today and you're not a Christian, if you've not believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, repenting of your sins, confessing His name, and being willing and humble obedience to be buried in the watery grave of baptism, you can pray all you want, but you're not in a right relationship with God, and it won't avail much. But also here today... There may be some whose life is not in a right relationship with God, even though they are Christians, but maybe they need to repent, maybe they need to come forward in a public way because they want their prayers also to be effective. But I hope every Christian here, as we in just a moment stand and sing the invitation song, they'll do a very critical and careful inventory of their prayer life and see if it's a priority or not. And maybe that's the very power that you're missing to make your life the very best Christian life it could possibly be. If you have a need this morning, won't you please stand as Scott leads us in the invitation song.